Part Four, Chapter Eleven of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Eleven. Pelagaya Danilovna Milyukova, a very stout and energetic woman in spectacles and wearing a loose-fitting capote, was sitting in the drawing room, surrounded by her daughters, whom she was doing her best to entertain. They were quietly moulding wax and looking at the shadows cast by retreating figures when the steps and voices of the visitors began to echo through the anteroom. Hussars, high-born ladies, witches, clowns, bears, coughing and wiping their frost-bound faces, came into the ballroom, where the candelabras were hastily lighted. The clown, that is, Dimmler, with the barinha, that is, Nikolai, opened the dance. Surrounded by gleefully shouting children, the masqueraders, hiding their faces and disguising their voices, made low bows before the mistress of the mansion, and then scattered through the room. "'Ach, it is impossible to tell! Ah, that's Natasha! Just see whom she looks like! Truly she reminds me of someone! And there's Edward Karluitch! How elegant! I shouldn't have known you! Ah, how elegantly he dances! Ah, oh, saints preserve us! And who is that Circassian? Indeed, it reminds me of Sonyushka. And who is that? Well, well, this is a kindness. Move out the tables, Nikita, Vanya, and we have been sitting here so solemnly. Ha, ha, ha! What a hussar! What a hussar! Just like a boy, and what legs! I can't look at you. Such were the remarks on every side. Natasha, who was a great favorite with the young Melyukovs, disappeared with them into some distant room, where a burnt cork and dressing-gowns and various articles of masculine attire were immediately in requisition, and these were snatched from the lackey who brought them, through the half-open door, by girlish arms all bare. Within ten minutes all the young people of the Melyukov family came down and rejoined the masqueraders. Pelagea Danilovna, who had seen that a sufficient place was cleared for her guests, and regalement prepared for the gentlefolk as well as the serfs, went round among the maskers with her spectacles on her nose, and a set smile, looking close into the faces of all, and not recognizing a single one. She neither recognized the Rostovs nor Dimmler, nor could she even distinguish her own daughters, or the masculine dressing-gowns and uniforms which they had put on. "'And who is that one?' she asked of the Gouvernatka, and looking straight into the face of her daughter, who represented a Kassan Tatar." I think it must be one of the Rostovs. Well, and you, Mr. Hussar, what regiment do you serve in? she asked of Natasha. Give that Turk, yes, that Turk, some fruit cake, said she to the butler, who was serving the refreshments. It is not forbidden by their laws. Sometimes, looking at the strange but absurd pass performed by the dancers, who gave themselves up completely to the ideas that they were mumming, that no one would recognize them, and therefore felt no mock of modesty. Pelagea Danilovna would hide her face in her handkerchief, and her whole fat body would shake with the good-natured and uncontrollable laughter of old age. After they had performed the plaska, various korvads, and other Russian national dances, Pelagea Danilovna had all the serfs and the others together form into a great circle. A ring, a rope, and a rouble were brought, and they began to play various games. By the end of an hour the costumes began to show signs of wear and tear. The charcoal moustaches and eyebrows began to disappear from the sweaty, heated, jolly faces. Pelagaya Danilovna began to recognize the masqueraders, and congratulate them on the skill with which they had made up their costumes, and tell them how very becoming they were to the young ladies, and she thanked them all for having entertained her so well. 
The guests were invited into the drawing-room, and refreshments were provided in the ballroom for the serfs. "'No, but what a terrible thing to read your fortune in a bath!' exclaimed an old maid, who lived with the Malyukovs. "'Why so?' asked the oldest daughter of the family. They were now sitting down at supper. "'No, don't think of doing such a thing. It requires so much courage.' "'I would as just leaf,' said Sonya. "'Tell us what happened to that young lady,' asked the second Malikova girl. "'Well, this was the way of it. "'A certain Varishna,' said the old maid, "'took a cock, two plates, knives and forks, as the way is, "'and went and sat down. "'She sat there, and sat there, "'and suddenly she hears someone coming. "'A sledge drives up, with harness bells jingling. "'She listens. "'Someone is coming. "'Someone comes in, absolutely in human form, "'just like an officer.' and sits down with her where the second plate is set. "'Oh! oh!' screamed Natasha, rolling her eyes in horror. "'And how was it? How did he speak to her?' "'Yes, just like a man. Everything was just as it should have been, and he began to talk with her, and all she needed to do was to keep him talking till the cock crowed. But she got frightened. As soon as she got frightened and hid her face in her hands, then he clasped her in his arms— luckily just then some maids came running in now what is the good of frightening them so protested pelagaya danilovna mamasha you yourself have had your fortune told exclaimed one of the daughters how is it fortunes are told in a granary asked sonya well this is the way of it you go into the granary and listen it depends on what you hear if there is any knocking or tapping it is a bad sign but if the wheat drops, then it's for good, and it will come out all right. Mama, tell us what happened to you when you went to the granary. Pelagia Danilovna smiled. Oh, what's the use? And I have forgotten, said she. Besides, you wouldn't go, would you? Yes, I would go, too. Pelagia Danilovna, do let me. I certainly will go, said Sonya. Very well, then, if you are not afraid. Louisa Ivanovna, can I? asked Sonya of Madame Chasse. While they were playing the games with the ring, the rouble, and the rope, and now, while they were talking, Nikolai had not left Sonya's side, and looked at her from wholly new eyes. It seemed to him that this evening, thanks to that charcoal moustache, he, for the first time, knew her as she really was. In reality, Sonya, that evening, was merrier, livelier, and prettier than Nikolai had ever seen her before. Why, what a girl she is! and what an idiot i have been he said to himself as he gazed into her gleaming eyes and saw her radiantly happy and enthusiastic smile dimpling her cheeks under her moustache and that look which he had never seen before i am not afraid of anything said sonya can i start now she got up she was told where the granary was and how she must stand and listen and make no noise the servant brought her shuba she flung it over her head and gave a glance at nikolai how charming that girl is he said to himself and what have i been thinking about all this time sonya stepped out into the corridor on her way to the granary nikolai making the excuse that he was too warm hurried to the front steps it was a fact the crowd made the air in the rooms close out of doors it was as cold and still as ever the moon was shining except that it was brighter than before the brightness was so intense, and there were so many gleaming stars in the snow, that those on high were quite effaced, and one had no desire to look for them there. The sky was almost black and spoke of gloom. The terrestrial sky was white and gay. 
"'What an idiot I have been! "'What an idiot! "'Why have I waited so long?' mused Nikolai, "'and he sprang down the steps "'and turned to the corner of the house "'by the footpath that led back to the rear entrance. "'He knew that Sonya would come that way. "'Halfway along the path stood a great woodpile "'covered with snow and casting deep shadows. "'Across it and beyond it fell the shadows of the lindens, bare and old, weaving patterns on the snow and the path. The footpath led to the granary. The timber walls of the granary and its roofs, covered with snow, shone in the moonlight, like a palace made of precious stone. One of the park trees crackled in the frost, and then everything became absolutely still again. It seemed to Nikolai as if his lungs breathed in not common air, but the elixir of eternal youth and joy. Feet were heard stamping on the steps of the servant's entrance. Someone was scraping the snow away from the lower step on which it had drifted, and then the voice of an old maid said, "'Straight ahead, straight ahead, right along this path, Baronishna. Only you must not look round.' "'I am not afraid,' replied Sonya's voice, and then toward Nikolai came Sonya's dainty feet, sliding and squeaking in her thin slippers. Sonya came along, all muffled up in her shuba, and it was not till she was within two paces of him that she saw him. It seemed to her also that he was different from what she had ever known him before, and that he had nothing of what always made her a bit afraid of him. He was in his feminine costume, with clustering locks, and wearing a blissful smile such as Sonya had never seen before. Sonya swiftly hurried to him. "'She's entirely different. Not at all the same,' thought Nikolai, as he looked into her face, all kindled by the moonlight.' He put his arms under her shuba, which encircled her head, strained her to his heart, and kissed her lips, which still showed traces of the moustache, and had a faint odor of burnt cork. Sonya returned his kiss full on the lips, and putting up her slender hands laid them on both sides of his face. Sonya! Nicholas! That was all they said. They ran to the granary, and then they went back into the house by the doors through which they had come. End of chapter 11